live from the 607, it's the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour, where we're talking everything movies, TV, comics, and entertainment. Join in the conversation on social media with the hashtag ODPH, because here we go. Welcome back for an all-new edition of the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. What is going on, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us this week. My name is Ken M. Joining me in studio, as always, you know him. He is the co-host. His name is Padawan J. Uh, I'm officially starting a GoFundMe to get one of those new fancy schmancy uh, realistic looking lightsabers they're going to have down at Disney uh, Disney World. If you have not seen the video of this thing, holy shit, this is what I dreamed of having as a kid. Seriously, we got to get that set up. Uh-huh. I need that in my life as well. Folks, there's a lot to discuss in the land of movies, TV, comics, and more, so definitely join us in that conversation. Swing on over to odphpodcast.com. Join in the conversation on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Podchaser. Drop a five-star review while you're there, and always remember to use the hashtag odphpod. Because let us kick off this entertainment edition of the ODPH Podcast, breaking down the trailer that... Uh, is very polarizing amongst the fandom right now. Mm-hmm. And that is Venom, Let There Be Carnage. Or Venom 2, to just keep it simple. Yes. This is the follow-up to the 2018 Tom Hardy film, which introduced everybody's favorite symbiotic uh, badass to the big screen. Again. Met with mixed reviews. Mm-hmm. Yes, because Spider-Man 3, we just kind of block out. Yeah. I don't need yeah. Peter Parker dancing in the streets again and just, yeah. Yeah. Everything about that, yeah. But this film was met with mixed reviews. I was not exactly a huge fan of it mm-hmm. when it came out, and obviously it did well enough at the box office that it has now been greenlit for sequels. Yeah, and I remember it came out one of the years you and I were down at New York Comic Con. 2018. When we were down at New York Comic Con, and when we, we had an opportunity to go, go see it because we weren't far from a, a movie theater, like walking distance, but we just didn't want to pull the trigger on it because at that point, you know, it was going to be like the night it came out. At that point, all we had were like the critics' reviews, and the critics' reviews were less than stellar. And we didn't want to exactly pay New York City prices, which if you haven't been to New York City to see a movie, it's rather expensive. Quite expensive. You know, we didn't want to see a really expensive movie in New York City if it was going to be a bad one, so we just kind of held off. I know you eventually saw it. I have not seen it just because it's it's one of those things like I just haven't been around to seeing it. No, it hasn't been on a – if it was on a streaming service, I had – you know, I would have been like, oh, like it's like the Transformers movies. Like, I've never paid to see a Transformers movie in theaters, but I've seen them all because they've always ended up on a streaming service someplace. You know, to my knowledge, Venom 2, Venom, uh, the first one, has not ended up on a streaming service. I have, and if it has, I've just missed it. Uh, so I haven't had the opportunity to see it uh, yet. Yeah, the first go-around with Tom Hardy playing Eddie Brock really was okay at best. Sure. It was kind of a letdown because I think one thing that our fandom is getting used to is the MCU brand. Mm-hmm. And that every movie that comes out, whether it's Marvel or DC, is kind of put against it mm-hmm. to see where it stands up. And yeah. this movie really didn't connect as well as I thought it was going to. Yeah, and you had to figure there was a bit of high expectations with the film. It's it's Venom. It's Sony's own thing, to our knowledge. Who's to say? We don't know. Mm-hmm. You know, and also there was the high stakes with it because, like we mentioned, the last time we saw Venom on the big screen, not the most stellar performance. You know, and plus, 
you've got the Marvel banner on the front end of this thing. Now Marvel for the first one wasn't directly involved with this. This time around with this trailer just just came out. It says in association with Marvel, which mm. I don't think said that before. Could be wrong. Uh, but no, there were obviously some high uh, expectations and you had a high bar with the first one. Exactly. And now that Andy Serkis is directing. Yeah. The bar is set a little higher because we're really waiting to see, okay, what are they going to learn from the first movie and kind of run with for the second one? And obviously due to everything going on with C-19, delays have been had. Oh, yeah. So this movie, we finally have a release date coming out for September 24th, and we did get the first trailer. So what we are going to be doing is breaking down what we saw from this trailer, what we thought. We are going to be talking some spoilers in the comics, so if you're not familiar, you want to avoid that, Pause the episode, do a little research on it, definitely hit your local comic shops, go talk to the people down there because I'm sure they got a lot to say about this, and then pop back in on this episode because Pat and I are going to start deep diving in three, two, one. Pat, what did you think? I uh, thought it was an okay trailer. I, I got to admit, playing you know one the song One is the Loneliest Number throughout the entire thing got, gave me a chuckle. You know, uh, you know irony. Um, was okay, you know. Damn it, Woody Harrelson looks real good in this movie, and even the one shot, he looks like Jeff Bridges. Yes. Christ alive. But, I mean, it looks okay. You know, again, this might, for me, I'm not probably not going to see it the night it comes out. It might be a matinee if I have a free moment to see it, but but looks all right. It was okay. I guess my bar was set a little higher knowing that Circus was involved and Tom yeah. Hardy was coming back, yep. and I thought that they learned a little bit from the first go-around about what worked and what didn't. Because sure. What they kicked off with to start the trailer is we have this funny, quote-unquote, breakfast scene yeah. where Venom and Tom Hardy are being like an old married couple. Yeah, well, and, and Andy Serkis did a trailer breakdown uh, with the folks over at IGN, and, and in regards to this specifically, and even kind of their where their relationship is, he said, quote, they are now what is, in effect, the odd couple stage of their relationship. They've been together for a year and a half, say, since the last story, and they're figuring out how to be with each other. And it's like the like living with this maniac toddler. Eddie is really struggling. He can't concentrate. He's trying to get on with work. And he, of course, only thinks about himself anyway on the whole, close quote. Yeah, so as we say, they have this big breakfast scene. It's meant to be funny. And, you know, like I say, this is kind of the the tone of the first movie, too. Yeah. They tried doing this offset humor against one. It's something that if you really like it, sure, you're going to get mm-hmm. into it. For me, I was kind of like, all right. I understand it didn't feel forced, but it kind of felt rushed. Yeah, I mean, it feels it feels like an odd place to put humor like right to lead off a trailer but given when this might take place in the film if this takes place after like a high tension scene and this is just to kind of like ease the tension all right people are on the edge of their seats their heart races heart rates might be going a little bit let's calm things down a little bit let's have a little fun right and as the trailer progresses we get an overshot of san francisco and we see eddie is walking through a convenience store and it seems that everybody knows that he is venom yeah so he's kind of he's established that lethal protector role which he does have in the comics sure wasn't too offended by that at all and i was like okay that can make sense and then we get a shot of a jail and a brock is walking through it and we do see the first appearance of one cletus cassidy played by woody harrelson looks real haggard yes looked absolutely perfect for the role Mm -hmm. and i i will say i'm one of the people online i love it that he doesn't have the crazy sideshow bob wig sure or the hair was like all over the place like he looked at the end of venom one and the bonus scene he looked absolutely out of control this one i thought he looked a lot better for 
And as we see in the trailer, they are setting out for what looks like he's going to be lethally injected. Mm-hmm. And if you know who he is in the comics, he's a serial killer. He's absolutely homicidal. I'll say he's a few uh, screws loose. Yes. So as we see, he's punching the wall of the prison. And it really sets a tone for him. We see another shot of Venom in action eating somebody with, yeah. with Woody talking over him. And then we get fast forward a little bit, and we see the first appearance of Detective Mulligan. Mm-hmm. Now, if you know who he is in the comics, he is the host for Toxin, who is another symbiote that has a run through the shows. We do see the shot of the Daily Bugle, though. Right. And we do see Cleus Cassidy on the front. And I know that there's another shot of the Bugle paper. Mm-hmm. That had everybody losing their mind per se. Not exactly the who is Mephisto, but we did see Avengers and Nightmare. In yeah, offend, what would it, what did it say? Avengers defeated by Nightmare or something to that effect? It was something quick. Everybody's kind yeah. of running with it. Yeah, well, because given who the upcoming villain for Doctor Strange 2 is, mm-hmm. known to be Nightmare, the internet's going, oh, it's connected. They're in the same universe. Slowly roll, folks. I don't think it's connected as of yet. But multiverse is a thing. Multiverse is a thing. So I Don't could rule it out. I could see it happening. And well, I let's think... not forget Marvel and Sony at the drunken behest of Tom Holland uh, did rework their deal, and it it does appear to be a little different than what it was the first t- go around. So you could see those characters cross over in some yeah. way. Yes, and we do see Stephen Graham is playing Detective Mulligan. So and we go back to the trailer, and like I say, it's kind of an interesting footnote to note that we're going to have more symbiotes come eventually. Uh And then we see Eddie Brock is at a club, and he's dealing with his girlfriend, Anne, who's played by Michelle Williams. He needs to take some dance lessons from Zemo. Yes. Well, everybody should take lessons from Zemo. This is true. Zemo is Zemo. Enough said. And then we go to a shot of Ravencroft. Uh So this was something that definitely Uh caught people's eyes. Caught my eye. Yes. Like I said, I haven't seen the first movie. This this caught my eye, especially given... Uh, who's who lately in the comics has been uh, the headmaster of Ravencroft? Oh boy, uh, one uh, Norman Osborn in the comics currently, which yo boy. Yeah, that's always a messy situation there in, in the current Spider-Man run. Yeah. So we do see Ravencroft, and we do see the first appearance of Naomi Harris, who is playing Shriek. Yeah. Who we do know from the Maximum Carnage storyline. And this is uh, going to be interesting to see how she plays out. Yeah, uh, she's a partner and lover, if you're familiar with her from the comics. Uh, and Andy Serkis, in, again, in his uh, interview or break, uh, trailer breakdown with IGN, said, quote, She's a damaged soul, and she really has suffered in her childhood. But there is a real vulnerability about her, and she's in a lot of pain. She's been living in isolation for years, years and years. Uh, with all these characters, what's so beautifully drawn about them is that they're multifaceted. They're totally truthful and believable, and yet... She's dangerous, too, and I think she has her own sense of fairness in being just. And I think uh, when that line is crossed, then you see a very, very dangerous dark side of her, uh, dark side to her, and that's what we wanted to do with the character, close quote. Yeah, which will be interesting to see how this plays on the screen. Like I said, if you know Maximum Carnage, you do know the character well. Mm-hmm. So then we go to another quick shot of Venom carrying what looks like to be a sword. Then we go to Cleus Cassidy smacking a spider. Yeah. Like the little Easter egg nod that they do. Yeah. Because we know, obviously, there's going to be a Spider-Man influence on this. But not yeah. not a reference, not a direct connection. But we are knowing they're going to kind of tease that a little bit. Yeah. Because, obviously, with the multiverse and now everybody's kind of running, like, when are they going to tie it into? It's going to have kind of a small influence, I would say, about that. Mm-hmm. 
But then to the next shot, we see Woody Harrelson in Cletus Cassidy mode just talking absolutely crazy. Looks completely psychotic. And then we see him in what looks like to be a, about ready to get lethally injected. Yep. In front of what we're assuming his victims' families. Yeah. It's kind of a dark scene. Yeah. I got to admit. It was not, for, of, not for the uh, tame at heart. Yeah. So I'm just kind of assuming that that's where they're going with. And then as we see he's getting injected, we do they're see. Going, they're trying to inject they're him. They're trying to inject him. And then we see red come out of his veins. <laughs> it doesn't go well. No, it definitely does not. And then we see what looks to be the transformation into carnage. You see the the case that he is in breaks. Mm-hmm. We see the building is on fire. We yep. see two characters walking out, so we're assuming that's Carnage and Shriek. Yep. So that is never good for anybody. No. We see Venom jumping through the, the city, too. So there is a fight that's going to be going on downtown. Yeah, and, and having Carnage unleashed is never a good thing because if, if Venom, when he's at his worst, is you know a full card short of a full deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carnage has absolutely no cards in his deck and is just nuts. He's been like that since we've seen him debut in the comics in 1992. Yeah. So this is nothing new that he is just completely a more psychotic version of Venom. Yeah, and if they go with kind of like an homage to the Ultimate Spider-Man Carnage route, watch the fuck out because, spoiler alert, the way he kills Gwen Stacy in the Ultimate Spider-Man comics, yikes. Yeah, which... I, I'm surprised they didn't come out and say this is going to be rated R because with Carnage involved, you would think it would be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they might teeter on that hard PG-13. Yeah, I would I would imagine that it's like, you know, if we're checking off boxes, it's, it's one or two boxes away from being a R. Yeah, definitely. And then we go to another couple shots of Shriek screaming in her case to or her prison cell. Mm-hmm. And like you see, finally get a little shot of her and the powers. We do see another quick shot of Detective Mulligan and Venom trying to eat him. So there's yeah. interjecting more of the comedy, which I was like, do we really need it at this point? Like, I, mean, I didn't, if, I didn't if, like how it was cut and set up. If Spider-Man, if it was like a traditional Venom story where Spider-Man is the foil, I'd understand it. Just because the, like the times I've seen Venom in in some of the comics and in the cartoons and in some video games... It like the back and forth of the banner has been there when Spider Man's there, just because mm-hmm. it's them. It's Spider Man's banner. It's Venom's banner going back and forth. I would understand it. To me, Venom's never been like the haha crack one liners like Peter does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just something that he's never been about. But well, he started embracing. He can, he that can role. do it. Just it's not like his go to like it is with Peter. Right. He's kind of evolved to doing yeah. that now. So this definitely depends on what writer you read. I mean, Donny Cates, I think, has made him a true standout character i think the work he's done in any of the venom books he writes i think are absolutely amazing what he's done with that character that's the one that you should really focus on i mean there's been some great interpretations of him in the past and obviously you can say about a brock and flash thompson yeah, and everybody yeah. who's at the symbiote but when you really delve into venom i mean he is somebody that really took that part of spider-man and tried implementing it and yeah. turning up a thousand oh yeah and that's why i say like this movie i think they tried a little too much with the humor mm. i mean that's what i think problem they had in 2018 yeah it seems like they're trying to just copy it for this one yeah which i'm not super excited about but if it makes sense when it's all put together and i hope it is then i'll be okay with it sure it's one of those things that like you know may, you're seeing a lot in the trailer but it could still be dialed back from the amount of humor you saw in the first one yeah exactly because like i say the evolution of venom has always just been something to watch yeah and it just depends on where you really want to go with it. i mean when he's playing like he's absolutely back crazy mm-hmm. it works fine but then when he's also doing that teetering balance between him and eddie brock it also really shines here too 
I, like I say, that was the only real takeaway of a negative I thought with this film or the trailer thus far that I've seen. And it's just like it seems like it's they're trying to be too funny, and we don't yeah. need that. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to counterbalance Carnage. Which going back to the trailer, we do see him using his powers a little bit, taking out a helicopter, taking out a, a van. We do see that there appears to be a prison riot breakout, and then we start going into the slow shot of him emerging in full body costume. Pat, mm-hmm. what did you think of this? Uh, if there's anything I'm confident on this movie being great is the like motion capture uh, aspect of it because Andy Serkis is the most prolific motion capture artist of our generation. You just think of his work as Caesar in the Planet of the Apes reboot. You think of his work as Gollum in the Lord of the Rings and Hobbit franchises. If there's any one thing I'm certain of that will be incredible with this movie, it's that the work that is done with the motion capture for Carnage and Venom, that it's going to be top-notch, it's going to be incredible, and some of the best work you'll you'll ever do. But it looked awesome. Yeah, no, it definitely was a great way to end the trailer. I know they had a quick comedy scene with Mrs. Chen, who owns the yeah. grocery store that Eddie's protecting, and yeah. it's a little back and forth with Venom, yeah. which I understand. Like, you want to throw that humor in to end that trailer? Sure. But maybe you shouldn't have let off with it. No. It just kind of seemed like a weird bookend. Yeah, it, it almost makes it look like, you know, you're starting with comedy, you're ending with comedy. It almost looks like you're trying to make it a comedy when it's not quite a comedy. Yeah, because anytime you're dealing with Carnage, it's not really funny. No. <laughs> it isn't. I mean, they do have that one shot of him by stained glass in a church, it looks like. Right. To also stand out, which I know the online theory is this is leading into Null. Hmm. Which, Pad, what is your thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, it would make sense for them, you know, if if Sony wants to go this route and set up like a Venomverse, I guess you could say, and, and have a big foil to him and introduce all the other symbiotes and have them come together. And, and like, if you start introducing, like, if you get to the end credits of this movie and there's like another symbiote, there, another one or two symbiotes that get involved and introduced or even like sprinkled throughout the movie. They're going for null. Like I feel like you don't start introducing all these symbiotes with Venom and Carnage and all the other ones and not lead to null. Like it would make sense for Sony, you know, if they're doing a Venom verse and setting up for like this kind of big bad and leading to this big final battle. Well, I think that null would be the smart money to do. I mean, he is one of the biggest characters in comics. So he's also the hot, one of the hottest commodities they got going. Exactly. He literally carried the entire saga by himself, King in Black. I mean, you take a look at what Donny Case has done with Venom and just created this new character who does have ties in with other characters in the Marvel comic universe. Mm-hmm. Null is setting up for to being a next big bad on the level of a Thanos. And, and if you want to have Null be the big bad of this Venomverse, if it, if it is going to be a thing, and you don't want it to flop like Sony, some of Sony's other properties with superheroes have... When it comes time, if they do end up bringing in Null and having Null be the big bad, bring in Donny Cates to write the scenes with Null. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not uncommon to do that. You know, the, uh, some of the movies that the Guardians of the Galaxy have appeared in that weren't directed uh, by James Gunn were still written by James Gunn and James Gunn's fingerprints were still on like Infinity War and Endgame. James Gunn didn't direct those, but his fingerprints are on, like, they, they have said, that, like, no, he wrote those scenes with Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, and you can definitely tell that. So for Donny Case to have a finger in this next project, and I think he should definitely have a lot of fingers in there oh, yeah. to really sell it home, because what we've seen thus far, it doesn't look like they're going to borrow from a specific storyline. No. I don't think you're going to see Maximum Carnage. I know you're not going to see Absolute Carnage. Oh, God, no. They're not going to do that just yet. They might allude to it a little bit, because, like I say, with Carnage and seeing that church shot, which I'm assuming it is with the stained glass, they could be 
teasing it a little well, bit. Especially some of the more recent comics, they might have to tone it down a little bit for the movies because some of that stuff I don't think they could do and get away with. They'd have to walk a fine line, but uh-huh. I think for where they need to go with this franchise, it's not a bad play. I no. mean, we have seen the rated R comic superhero movies can sell. Facts. So why don't they try doing it with this unless they're still trying to tie in Spider-Man at some point? That's the only thing that really is, has had that heart on. Yeah, it's just really f- frustrating to see as a fan that you know what you're getting out of Carnage. You know what you get out of Venom and Venom, mm-hmm. they've. I don't want to say they toned down a little bit, but they kind of sort of have in, yeah. in certain areas. Yeah. To see that this is going to be a setup for something else, I want to see him just go in that real strong direction to follow Null yeah. and build that universe. Because you don't need to tie in Tom Holland. You don't need to tie in Marvel with it. You can do it yourself. I mean, tying Tom in Tom Holland would be, would be great just because... Oh, it would be smart to do. Because I feel like... Doing a Venom movie and not having Spider or like a Venom verse and not having Spider Man involved in some fashion would be like trying to do a Lex Luthor movie and not having Superman involved. But they've done it so far. Yeah. Like I say, I think that's another drawback to Venom the first time around in 2018 because obviously you didn't have Spider Man, you didn't have the white spider emblem on his yeah, chest. Yeah. And you really, if you're not familiar with the character, you're like, okay, what is this? Because for mainstream fans, they don't get it. Comic book fans, oh, that was the first thing we were all critiquing. Right. He didn't look like Venom in the comics. Well, I mean, the, the white spider on his chest thing, for me, isn't, like, the biggest deal in the world. Christ, how many years was it before we got, like, the traditional Scarlet Witch costume in the Marvel movies? Oh, I'll, I'll give you that. It's at, like, six, seven years. But when you consider how Venom's powers are all based and True. everything, there's certain Easter eggs they got to tie in with True. That. So I'm just hoping for the next go-around we get that right. And hopefully this movie is going to be a step in the direction. But from this trailer, though... I have the same vibes I did in 2018. Like, I'm not super amped up to see it. I'm going to go see it. Mm -hmm. But I'm not going in there expecting this to be the home run that Sony's banking on this to be. I want to be pleasantly surprised, though. Don't get me wrong. I'm not going to go in there and just hope this movie bombs completely. But I want to see something out of this franchise that I haven't seen before. Right. And like I said, Venom 2018 was very cliche mm, like okay. i say it, like for me it was not something that we've seen from the mcu in a long time right and i think that it was just something that really kind of just felt like very early 2000s yeah and then that's kind of the vibe i'm getting with this, some of the stuff with this that it's like this feels pre-mcu and not in a good way yeah so i'm hoping to be happily surprised i did like everything i saw with carnage though yeah, oh, yeah. that's my one upside willie harrelson yeah. is going to carry this film tom hardy i hope does something different with the character but we'll have yeah. to wait and see. Yeah. And then, I mean, like I said, the rest of the supporting cast, it'll be interesting to see what they do. The fact they have Toxin introduced, I think, is very interesting. But I hope we just don't get a Planet of the Symbiotes at the end of this. I really... Yeah. I, I, yeah. Like, I know they kind of dabbled around it with the first movie. I, I don't want to see him go back with this. It's, symbiotes is not the way to go to overload it unless you just bring Null in and have him wipe everybody out. Well, that's why I say if you get to the end of this movie and you get one or two introduced in, the, in like, a bonus scene or even throughout the movie, they're going null. Yeah, which I think is a smart play to do. But we'll have to wait and see when it comes out in September, but definitely hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about the first trailer for Venom, Let There Be Carnage? Were you disappointed? Were you excited? And why? Let's talk, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. My name is Nicholas Haskins, and I'd like a moment of your time to tell you about the fifth annual live stream for The Cure. To do that, I brought along two people whom I couldn't do this event without, Gerald Morris and Dan Brennick. 
Over the past four years, the live stream for The Cure has raised over $30,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. That contribution is helping to fund research into cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This year, we're aiming for our biggest goal yet as we try to raise $15,000 in 50 hours on the air. Tune in May 19th through the 23rd as we're joined live by podcasters and content creators from around the world. With your help, we can continue the fight for a future immune to cancer. Together, we can make a difference. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH podcast. And there is a show right now on Netflix that definitely has garnered some buzz. The Witcher. Well, that's up there. But no, I'm referring to Jupiter's Legacy. Oh, yeah. Now, if you have not got a chance to check the show out, it has been a pleasant surprise. Yeah. It has been something that I don't think was necessarily the home run everybody was expecting. No. But we will deep dive into it a little bit. We're going to try keeping this spoiler free as well, too, because there's a lot to digest with mm-hmm. this show. But let us kind of dive into a little background about Jupiter's Legacy first, Pat. Yeah, so uh, this is a, a comic that comes from folks over at Image Comics. Uh, it's got a bit of an irregular schedule uh, where the publication date is listed as on the Wikipedia pages uh, April 2013. Uh, through present uh, it has apparently 10 issues so you've got two volumes first volume is five issues uh, second volume is five issues and then it's got a spin-off uh, called Jupiter's Circle uh, which has also got some issues uh, out uh, and just in terms of the TV show uh, it will so we all remember back in a couple years ago I believe it was uh, tw- so back in 2015 it was announced that uh, Frank Millar had uh, Mark Millar. Mark, thank you. Mark Millar had partnered with a film producer to adapt Jupiter's Legacy into feature films. Uh, and then in 2018, uh, Netflix, of course, made that announcement that it had acquired a Millar World uh, back in 2017. And it was developing a TV adaptation of the comic series uh, with Stephen S. Denight hired a showrunner and one of the executive producers. Now, if you're not familiar with Mark Millar's work in the comics, he is definitely well known. Uh, most notably, he's done The Ultimates, which is the precursor for the Avengers and the Ultimates universe. Right. He has been the architect behind Civil War. I uh, heard of that. Yes, which the comic, a lot better than the movie. Yep. I want to put that out there. Yep. Except ending, a little so-so. He has also been responsible for some of your favorite indie films that have turned uh, comics that have turned into films. Definitely a guy that like you might not know the name, but once you read off what he's done, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Wanted, Kick-Ass, heard Kingsman. Yep. So Mark has definitely been well-known throughout the comics first. And to see that this is going to be his first big project that hits Netflix, mm-hmm. very interesting, Very a lot of hype behind it. Yeah. So the premise behind Jupiter's Legacy is it does take a little homage to the JSA-type teams. Yeah. You know, in that golden era mm-hmm. that everything is just... Everything is awesome. Yeah, pretty much. Like, this is your basic battleground for superheroes, and it just shows how they're larger than life yeah, and how they just represent truth, justice, and liberty. Feels like a slightly... And this is without having seen The Boys, but it's on my list. Feels like a slightly toned-down version of The Boys without as much violence, where it's like it's like a realistic take on The Boys. Well... Or, or, or not even, like... Not even... Not even sorry. Wrong phrasing. Not a realistic take on the boys, but like a realistic, not quite as gory, violent version of the boys. Uh, to some degrees. Where I got the influence from this is, have you ever read Kingdom Come? Yes. 
it ties in the elements of Kingdom Come and The Watchmen. Okay. Like, that's probably the easiest way to describe this because you go from these six ordinary individuals that go on a journey mm-hmm. and become heroes yeah. to where that they are now in the present day and the world has evolved around them. Yeah, and, it, and it's definitely got like that comic book superhero team vibe to it, obviously, but it's got kind of like a modern spin to it because, and this isn't exactly a spoiler, but there's one point in the show fairly early on where the, a press conference is being held because something happened and one of the reporters brings up the team's approval rating with the public. You know, oh, the public said blah, 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 you know, 70, I think it's like 78% of the American public say blah, 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 which I'm like, all right, that's kind of cool. Like, haven't seen that with Justice League or the Avengers. No, it's definitely an interesting take on how they do this because this team has been around since the 1930s. And you see that Josh Dumal is the head character of the show. He plays Shelton Sampson, who's known yeah. as the Utopian. He's also joined in the trinity of this team by Leslie Bibb, who plays Grace Sampson, his wife. Uh, Lady Liberty. Lady Liberty. And Ben Daniels, Brainwave, his brother. Yep. So they are the focal point of this team. And as you see, they're the head of the union, Mm -hmm. which is known as the premier superhero team. So think Justice League, think Avengers. Yeah. And you do see that they are just having to deal with children growing up in this era and the villains are now getting nastier. They're and, not the yeah, wholesome yeah. good guy, bad guy code anymore. Yeah, and and, you, and one of the things I like with the show is clearly time has passed. You know, you're seeing flashbacks to the thir- 1930s in, in America and then simultaneously seeing it in present day. And you're seeing these characters, you know, Josh Jumel's character, Lady Liberty, Brainwave. You're seeing them in the past as they're, you know, kind of middle-aged, you know, whatever age selves. You know, mm-hmm. and maybe in their 30s, I'd say, to where you're seeing them in present day. And they're older. Yeah, they're they, aged. They're aged. They have white hair. It's longer. They have beards. They don't move quite as well as they used to. Whereas when you look at the stuff with, you know, not only DC, but Marvel and other stuff where it's like, oh, hey, yeah, Superman's been around for 80 years. Yeah, he still looks like he did just yesterday. Right. This definitely has a realistic approach to that. Yeah. Which I think is very interesting because they do show that the Utopian's children now have superpowers too. You mm-hmm. have his son, Brandon, who's the Paragon, yep. who is basically a younger version of the Utopian. Just without all the powers. Yeah, to, that we know of thus far. True. They kind of dabble around a little bit, and he's very much not handling living in his father's shadow. No, and, and it's something you see with not only him, but the other uh, child, Chloe Sampson, who, you know, they're dealing with not only the responsibilities of, you know, it, and it's something you see with a lot of comics. You know, I know they're going to be exploring this a little bit upcoming in the DC comics when Jonathan Kent takes over the mantle of Superman. But you're seeing this with Brandon and kind of like, I have to live up to my father's legacy and everything he did while also simultaneously trying to live my life and, and you see it with chloe in the show where she's she's struggling with it more than anyone and, it, and it's really interesting to watch yeah elena Camporis, who plays chloe is definitely breaking away from the family and she's involved in substance abuse and yeah she modeling is, of some sorts yeah she is a very unique character i think that with talking with friends online she is the most polarizing of the yeah. of the, the show because a lot of people just don't like her character no I'm not a huge fan of her. I, I like the character and not the actress. No, yeah, yeah. I, I, for me, I enjoy it, but it's not in that like, oh, this is awesome way. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Like, there's the one scene fairly early on. I want to say it's in like episode two or three where 
uh, Sheldon, the father, goes to visit her, you know, and she's, I think they're Midwest or West Coast or something, and she's on the East Coast. And he goes to visit her and, and goes to her apartment or her house or wherever she's living. And, you know, she he offers to bring her bagels from her favorite bagel place in New York. And she's like, oh, I can't, you know, I've got a shoot coming up. So he shows up to the apartment and he goes, oh, and I forget the exact verbiage or what he says, but he says something to the effect of like, oh, your shoot where like your knees and arms and everything are covered. And it's, and it's totally like a conservative, very nice and friendly look. And she just kind of stares in without saying a word. And he goes, that was a joke. Yeah. Like, okay. She does modeling of some sort. Yeah. There's something that he is just struggling to agree with because where he is stuck is his head is still in the thirties mm-hmm. and he has not evolved to the times. No. And with an incident that happens with a super villain named black star in this, it is the tone and the pace car for this show. Yeah. Because what it does is it ties in the element of is the ideals of the golden period of superheroes mm-hmm. outdated. Yeah. Is the ideas of Superman passe? Mm-hmm. And is it now replaced by we have to have the anti-hero step up? That's an yeah. easy way to describe it because what there is is just this complexity of your morals of, well, the villains are stepping over the lines. There isn't that code of respect anymore. Yeah, I mean, if, if you start watching the show, take a shot of water, because not anything else, because you'll regret it very quickly. <laughs> take a shot of water every time they bring up the code. It's, yes. it's something they bring up very frequently in the show, and one of, and something happens along the way where you know the code is essentially, and it's what you see with classic Superman, is stop the bad guy, throw him in prison, even even. Uh, Batman, not just so much just Superman too, but like Batman, Superman, like, oh, stop the bad guy, throw him in jail. Oh, shucks, he gets out. So like it gets brought up at one point fairly early in the show that like, hey, we can't keep doing this because they're changing the rules. Yeah, this, like I said, this borrows heavily, in my opinion, from Kingdom Come. Mark, yeah. Mark Wade and Alex Ross's epic DC limited series. You go to your comic shop and just go buy it. It is fantastic. But it does touch upon that nerve about... When do the heroes need to step up? Mm-hmm. When do they need to really evolve with the times? Oh, yeah. And can you stay as wholesome in your ideals in a day and age where the world has changed around you? Yeah, and and, it come, and it's something you see a lot where you have the heroes or the good guys coming to a point where it's like, you can't keep doing the same thing or else you're doomed to failure. Hmm. You see it in Star Wars with the Jedi because I know it's brought up in the novelization of Revenge of the Sith, but you can still see echoes of it in the films where the Jedi were just stuck in their ways of doing the same thing in the same way and handling all the problems the same way for generations and generations and generations. And meanwhile, you had the bad guys change the rules. They didn't go about it the traditional way. They were, oh, we're going to face you head on with our red lightsabers drawn and face you on a field of combat. No, we're going to flip the script and go behind the scenes and really under underwork you from behind the scenes and in your own house. And all of a sudden they went, shit, we can't do anything. You yeah. know, you're seeing the same thing with this where it's like, we can't keep doing the same thing. It's not going to work. Exactly. And like I say, this is where Millar really hits the point home because like I say, he borrows a lot of those ideals and even a touch of Watchmen too. Yeah. Because what yeah. you have is these heroes put on this public facade of their godlike and in the utopian's mind, mm-hmm. he is somebody that has to represent what is right with the world. Yeah. But he's not going to control it, even though you do have brainwave kind of eluding a little bit that the world is evolving. We have to as well. Mm-hmm. And they kind of do this little battle back and forth of just questioning the morales. And you see with what happens with Paragon and that he is now trying to grow up in this world 
He is in the shadow of the utopian. Yeah. He is struggling to deal with that. His sister has long left the superhero business, and mm-hmm. she is out in her own world. Uh-huh. And they are now evolving with these younger heroes as well to see where their place is. Yeah, and, and you, like, you have the son seeing things through you know, modern eyes without having you know you know looking having all the knowledge and, and viewpoints of what happened before where he's seeing things in a modern way and going okay i see what you're doing and i understand it but just it doesn't work anymore and yet you have the father going no 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 we have to keep doing this this way yeah that he is unwilling to give up on this code that he is willing to stick to his beliefs no matter who he alienates out of no. this and it's a very interesting ploy, too, because when you see his character going through his flashbacks and you see how damaged he is from a family tragedy. Yeah, Christ. And they do not let that up through the entire eight episodes. No, like, like they kind of hint at it very early. I want to say it's in like the first episode where, mm-hmm. where like the son says to his sister, you know, and, I, and I'm paraphrasing, but he goes, we didn't have to go through some of the stuff our parents did with our powers. And it's like, oh, OK, that, you know understandable whatever we'll see but then like as the episodes go on you see what exactly they had to go through and you go holy shit no oh, yeah there is a lot of psyche trauma that samson's have all gone through all of them yeah really and you see josh dumel who i can't stress enough i think did an amazing job in yeah. this role that he definitely took elements that you see from superman and then definitely flipped it on a script uh-huh and i thought he did it very well yeah and i thought trying to balance out the flashback sequences which i will say though if i gotta be a little critical of it sure they did go back and forth a little too much. Yeah, yeah. I'm got, not. I'm not through the entire uh, show. I'm on episode four right now. But yeah, no. The the back and forth does feel a little a little much at times. Yeah, even like when they get deeper in the in the show too, they do go back and forth. And the one area that I thought they didn't do a great job with mm-hmm. is you keep getting introduced to new characters. Yes, and it seems like there's a lot thrown at you. Yeah. on first watch. Yeah, that you will get a little confused with, and I think that's something that. They should fix for season two because I would assume this is going to get greenlit for season two. But it's a very, I don't want to say annoying factor, but it does weigh a little much when you're trying to yeah. break everything down. Yeah, no, it, it, like I said, I'm on episode four, but it, so watch three episodes. It is a little overwhelming with all the flashback sequences, especially when they make, you have to kind of like look and go, oh, they're dressed in old timey clothes. So they're in a flashback sequence. But, like, it doesn't even feel like a natural sequence to go from the scene previous and into the flashback. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, hey, we're going back in time because reasons. Even when they go through and they show one instance, which happens with Hutch, who's played by Ian Quinlan, who I think is fantastic on yeah. the show, too, by the way. He is a sleeper show stealer on this one. Uh, for me, it's Matt Lanter. Oh, Matt Lanter, too. Is yeah, Matt a- Lanter, a.k.a. Anakin Skywalker. Yes. He does a great job, too, with Sky Fox. Yeah. So those two characters really do scene steal a lot. But with Hutch, though, I thought it was very interesting because when we talk about the flashbacks, there's one incident in the show that ties in with three characters specifically, Mm -hmm. and it's all told through different eyes. But they do flashback to the different sequences. Sure. So it does get a little confusing in that instance, but once you kind of get down to you understand who everybody's involved with, it does make a lot of sense. But I think at first watch, though, it was a little distracting. I'm not going to lie. But overall, though, I did enjoy the show. Yeah, no, I'm enjoying it. Like I said, I'm on episode four. It's great so far. You know, I'm enjoying the hell out of it. Just my one gripe is, you know, just the flashback sequences. And I'm sorry, got to say, because I didn't mention it. Uh, Black Star is a bootleg Mongol from, yes. from DC. Like, look at a photo of him. 
then look at a photo of Mongol and tell me I'm wrong. No, absolutely. I mean, they do borrow a lot from the DC universe, in my opinion, for this show. Yeah. There's a lot of characters yeah. that do look somewhat similar. It, it feels like a DC universe if that universe were in our, like, real life and mm-hmm. just what would actually happen. Yes. And Black Star is played by Tyler Maine, who was originally Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie. Really? Ooh, interesting connection. So tie him back into the comics overall. It is a good show to check out, though. I will oh, say, I do recommend it. I do say the ending without spoiling it, though. It is going to confuse you a little bit because there is something that happens and you're going to have to really put some things together to understand the payoff. Right. Because at first watch, it felt a little rushed. Sure. And there's a couple of things that you have to kind of put together a little bit. But once you get that payoff, it does make a lot of sense. Right. I wasn't sitting there like jaw on the floor drop. Sure. But I did appreciate it. Though. Sure. And it's a quick series to get through. I mean, I just looked it up. It's eight episodes. And the longest episode in the series is episode seven, which is 56 minutes. Yeah. Everything else is varying degrees shorter. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a quick show to buzz through on Netflix. So, so it's not like, you know, some of the other stuff where I remember with like some of the Marvel Netflix stuff where it was like 13 episodes and all of them are over an hour. Yes. And I think that's kudos to Stephen DeKnight, who's the showrunner for the yeah, show, yeah. who we also know from Daredevil. Oh, okay. So definitely a lot of comic influence on this show. But overall, though, I do recommend it. I think that they do an amazing job about bringing this story to life. Yeah. And like I say, you do see a lot of influence from Watchmen in this. Mm-hmm. You do see a lot of influence from Kingdom Come. You just have to get back to the legacy of Jupiter and breaking that down to okay, do you evolve in the times or do you stay to what brought you to the dance? I mean, that's the overall theme of this because it's new guard versus young guard. Mm -hmm. And how is the future taking over the reins? Yeah. It's a story that we've seen before in comics. Yep. I thought they did a very good job about illustrating it, but I do think, though, they do rush a lot of characters at you and there are certain ones they don't establish. Sure. But they want to focus it on the Samson family and how fractured they are in real life. Mm Mm-hmm. But they do put on that public facade because what they deal is they are so focused on dealing with the world and saying that our way is the right way. Yeah. Not in a bullying stance, but in look at what we've done. We've saved the world countless times. Trust the process. Mm -hmm. So this is where the ultimate line is drawn in the sand here, folks. Yeah. I do, like I say, I can't stress enough. I do think you should check it out, though. I'll say, hey, give me credit. I didn't wait till two seasons were out and like three years after it came out to watch it. Yes, I know. Pat, I, did, I, did, of... I didn't do like Umbrella Academy. Yes, which now he's definitely hooked on. Oh, yeah. Yes, new season dropping soon. Can't wait. Can't wait. But for Netflix, though, this is a big win. I know they have Sweet Tooth coming out pretty soon, so the comic stuff is starting to come out. So if you're definitely looking for a comic book show to tide you over, this is a show to go check out. Yeah. And definitely go pick up the books down in the comic shop, too. Check out Jupiter's Legacy. You can definitely talk to your comic shops about it. I'm sure they got a lot to say about it. You've heard our takes on it, but let us know what you think. Hit us up on that hashtag, hashtag ODPHpod. What is your thoughts about Jupiter's Legacy? Do you love it? Do you hate it? And why? Let's talk, shall we? We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Hello. Hi. Uh, I'm just calling today to see... Who is this? Uh, this is, uh, Shane from the Good Game Guys. I'm not interested. I'm, I haven't even told you what it's about yet. Take me off your list. Uh, okay. Goodbye. Son of a... Devon, these cold calls aren't working. 
and I feel stupid. All I want is to get people excited about our show, The Good Game Guys, being available every Sunday morning on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever they get their podcasts. Because how else are people going to know that we cover the latest in video game news and do routine interviews with some of the best folks in the podcast community? They won't, unless I, I make more calls. So. Hello? Hi, this is Shane from The Good Game Guys. How are you doing? Follow us on Twitter at GoodGameGuysPod. Coming back for another segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. And my God, mm-hmm. this past Sunday, mm-hmm. Fear the Walking Dead. Oh. One of the best shows on TV right now. At me at OD Parlay Hour if you disagree. Also, oh, you were watching that. I was watching the A&E WWE biography. Real yeah. good. Yeah. Well, I taped those, so it's, I can check them out. But this show, seriously, folks, I know I preach th- about this each week. I stand by my statement. If you have been turned off by the Walking Dead flagship show and you don't care about Worlds Apart, this is the show you need to check out. And if you're looking for a straight-up horror show, this kind of teeters around it. This season, since they have returned, fear has been killing off major characters. They have been taking big steps. They have given you incentive to watch a zombie show, but actually make the fear real. Mm. That this is not something that I sit there and question, oh, how is this? How are they going to escape out of this? No, they're taking chances, which I applaud them for doing. Because you see on the flagship show, they play it very safe. I know I say this every week, but I need to illustrate this point. That not everything needs to be about zombie killing in this world. It can have great character moments. It can have the experience that really makes this show stand out on its own, that it's not Mm -hmm. in the shadow of Walking Dead. And this episode definitely delivered on the drama, tragedies, you name it, this episode had it. So I'm going to be breaking down episode 12, titled In Dreams of Fear the Walking Dead. So if you haven't seen the episode, I give you permission, pause this podcast right now, go stream it wherever you can stream then jump back in the conversation because there's a lot to digest in this and what an amazing performance they did in this show because I'm talking spoilers in three, two, one. Okay, so everybody knows that this season has been kind of a little bit of a roller coaster. That sure. Morgan, who's played by Lenny James, has just been carrying the show and done such an amazing job that now they've gotten away from Colby Menefee's Virginia character, who is such a longtime pre- protagonist, that now they're dealing with a crazy doomsday cult headed up by Pad's favorite John Glover. Yeah. And Nick Stahl as Riley, who's like the Daryl Dixon of this group, who we do know from Terminator fame. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So they have got a little quiet star power behind this. But where Morgan's been lying in this is he's been helping a pregnant Grace get through to deliver birth. And he has really kind of taken on this role of being the one to save the community that he's built. He's really taken that Rick Grimes role and really grown into it, where I don't think he wanted to do this before. And he's really been helping out Karen David, who who plays Grace, uh, her character. And where they've gone with this episode, they kick off where Grace wakes up in this forest area. She's been sleeping, and she does see the walkers are coming at her, but she is saved by a mysterious girl that they are trying to figure out, okay, where am I, what's going on? 
And the girl is named Athena. And Athena winds up saving Grace and then takes her to an aged Morgan and the community that has been built. Mm. So definitely some time has passed because you see Lenny James' character has gray hair, a gray beard. Yeah. So it definitely has grown in that time. And during this, they're walking through and they're seeing other characters of the show in what they've evolved to in this time that has gone by since Grace has been gone because Grace wakes up and has no idea what has happened. And she sees to Daniel and Strand, their friends, which we talked about last episode, uh, definitely not the place that they were at prior to. So mm. we see that happening. We see that June is now Dr. Dory, and she is going through the communities, helping out everybody. Dwight has a child. Alicia, they've hinted, has gone to find her mom, which if you've been a longtime Fear the Walking Dead fan, you know where that ends up. So they have been having all of these different moments go on. And it is very cool to kind of see how this plays out. But they also kind of tie into that Athena is actually Grace's child that she has been pregnant with prior to this episode. And we see them kind of having this go, to, you know, going through this new world and seeing what has happened because Grace is really kind of left off that she doesn't understand what is happening. During this time, though, they are seeing like quick flashbacks to like an exploding car. And we're seeing that there's a lot of different imagery going on with the end is the beginning, which has been the tagline for this crazy cult that has been after Morgan for the key that he has from the bounty hunter that he took from way back in the beginning of the season. Uh, Which, like I say, I love the fact they're tying in those little Easter eggs and making this happen. And as they're going through, they do have these flashbacks, and then they're coming across another group of walkers. And you see Athena is trying to talk to Grace, and they're having this kind of heart-to-heart moment. And they're almost having this deja vu Groundhog Day moment where Grace has to kill the same walker three times. Like, no matter where she's going, Pat. Mm-hmm. It's kind of this weird, like, you see the replay running through ahead. Like, yeah. like, like I say, Groundhog Day is the easiest way to do it. Run, Lola, run, if you've ever seen that movie. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of the same yeah. vibe here. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of uh, the movie Vantage Point, where, bit of a confusing movie for not paying attention, but, like, you see, like, six different perspectives of, like, the same point in, uh, in a day, and I think it's, like, Spain. Yeah. You see all these weird moments going on, and then you're seeing like flashbacks to like where it gets dark and gritty. Because the one thing about this whole, I call it the dream world that Grace is living in. You're seeing pink flower, pink trees, and you're seeing very bright imagery. It's such a dreamlike state that you've seen from The Walking Dead. But when they flash back to the real world, and you're seeing the dark, gritty barn that they're stashed in right now because it's her and Morgan. You're seeing that there's a doomsday cult is coming after them which always gets absolutely crazy. And you're seeing that not everything is what it seems. Because in the real world, Grace is unconscious. Right. And Morgan is now protecting, not only from walkers, but that crazy cult has shown up. And everything goes absolutely crazy from there. And you see that Riley is now going after them and really is being hell-bent in high water that he wants that key. He's not even worried about killing Morgan. Like, you see normally The Walking Dead. Okay, they want to take out whoever is there. He just really wants that key. And he's willing to let Morgan live about it, which is kind of like a weird take. But like I say, this entire cult is just definitely a different type of breed. And like I say, the imagery they have for that cult, Mm -hmm. like, they really put that fear into it. And they really show how absolutely batshit crazy they are, which I love seeing. But as we go back, because they do do some going back and forth, though. It's like time jumping. 
So we go from the real world where Morgan is moving Grace to safety to the dream sequence where Grace has to fight a Riley that's in the dream world, and she winds up killing him. And then they have this talk with Athena as they're going to try getting back to camp because it's all about wandering this new world and finding their place. And Grace is doing an amazing job about trying to really fit in and see what is going on there. Like It's just a cool play that they do to see how everything shapes up. And as they're going through, though, they do have the battle for the keys on both worlds because you do see that after everything is done with Riley in the dream sequence, he comes back as a zombie, which makes sense. Walking Mm -hmm. dead. In the real world, though, he does make this play to go and attack Morgan into the barn. And Morgan, I will say, if there's one thing you kind of have to suspend reality about. Yeah. He takes out four guys with that staff. I call bullshit. And he's killing everybody. I call bullshit. You know what, though? I can't even say reasons. I call bullshit. Yeah. But he's doing it because he has seriously become such a dynamic character. I didn't even mind. Like, he's just sitting there just taking everybody out with his bow staff. And like I said, he's going headshot. Did the the choreographer for the fight scenes in Kingsman write this scene? Because it sounded like it. Oh, he kind of had that vibe. And then even when Kate or Riley is trying to grab it, Morgan stabs him right in the chest. All that's missing from this scene is uh, uh, Freebird. Yeah, like it is absolutely a wild sequence in the real world. and But it's not a fatal blow, though, which I do think was maybe a little telling, maybe a little telegraphed, took a little bit away. But not the end of the world, because obviously, if you just introduce this cult, you're not going to take out everybody. Right. So it did make some sense. But during this time, though, we do have a quick flashback to the dream world. And you hear Grace talking about Matthew, who's Athena's dad, and how they used, they met at a power plant and the radiation made him sick. So this is going to kind of tie into a little bit. And as they come back to the real world, Grace has stopped breathing and Morgan is desperately trying to save her. In the dream sequence, though... You're seeing that they're really trying to push Grace to go through this door to the light. So she's trying to wake up, and they're desperately trying to get her to definitely get back to where she's supposed to be. Right. So like I say, it's kind of like this little side journey they have going on. But in the real world, you see that she finally wakes up, and Grace is like leaving a recorded message that she's definitely just had this moment where she talked to her daughter who's aged, and they have this very heart-to-heart moments. Mm-hmm. And during this point, kick up the free bird one more time. Riley drives through the barn with a truck. Seems logical. Yeah, which, okay, I get it. Crazy cult guy. It works. No argument. Nick Stahl did a fantastic job. I'm loving him in this role. He is just absolutely crushing it. And he goes right through the barn, gets out with gun pointed now because he's smart about it. Sure. Well, I mean, if you're going to try taking out Morgan, you're going to need to come with a little more than ammunition than you had the first time. Just saying. But at this point, he points the gun at a pregnant Grace and gives Morgan the ultimate ultimatum. And during this, Grace is desperately trying to reason with Morgan. And she says a line, the key is not the future. She is. Because she has already had this epiphany that, you know, Athena is going to be the one to save everybody. And... It's a very dramatic scene. Morgan reluctantly gives Riley the key. And then they have the sequence where you hear Roy Orbison's In Dream start playing. And then Grace is giving birth to Athena. But unfortunately, 
Athena is stillborn. Yeah. And they did touch upon this when they referenced about the power plant radiation. Mm, It it, it unfortunately killed Athena. Grace and Morgan are absolutely devastated by this. This was was such a powerful scene of how well they acted this. And it was just such an emotional punch in the, you know, just absolutely just wrecked me. I was like, whoa. Oh, yeah. Kudos to the actors for for doing this because this was not a, an easy scene to watch. No, and let alone I can only imagine about them trying to act this out. No, and I feel like you know births and pregnancies are something that The Walking Dead, for probably obvious reasons, hasn't delved into too much. Mm-hmm. But the thing I think a lot of people got to remember is this is in a post apocalyptic world. They don't have all of the medical benefits and technology that we have in our real world lives. That this is essentially putting them back into, I don't want to say medieval uh, medicine because that was, you know, bloodletting was a thing. Google yeah. Google it at your own discretion. But it, it kind of puts it into that like 19th century, 1800s kind of medicine where it's like, you kind of know what you're doing, but you're still kind of behind the eight ball because you don't. You have to adapt and kind of relearn things. Yeah, and it was just such an emotionally just devastating scene. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, yeah gut wrenching. Yeah, it was absolutely gut wrenching to watch. And like I say, I applaud the actors for just you know the portrayal. But yeah. man, just watching this at home, it just it hit me, and I was like, it, it was something. It was something that they very easily could have gone up to the point of and then gone around it because hey we don't want to go we we want to kind of go near this and not really go full tilt into this but they didn't shy away no they didn't and i like i say fear the walking dead is definitely one show that doesn't take an easy way out about any no. any of their emotional stuff that they no. do on this show and i mean just from the past couple episodes they've delved into a lot of topics that are not per se zombie related sure. to put it very mildly they have done such a fantastic job about delving into the human side of the zombie world which i understand we've seen before in the walking dead flagship show but i don't think ever to this level of quality and degree that they really emphasize that fear is not exactly all that is zombie related it's the real world itself and the episode ends and i was absolutely blown away by this episode I thought the performances were absolutely amazing. I dug this episode a lot, and I cannot wait to see where they go. I mean, this season has definitely been a roller coaster ride, and I'm so, so glad I jumped back on the, the board the ship here because I remember, and I've been one that I've preached about this many times, I gave up on this show. Season two was absolutely hot garbage. I'll stand by that. Mm-hmm. But after going... And it's watching the New York Comic-Con panel. I was sold on the beginning of this. I jumped back in. And I have no intention about getting off this train. Fear the Walking Dead is must-watch TV, folks. Don't believe me? Try it out. Let me know. Hit me up on the hashtag, hashtag ODPHPod. Check out this season. Season 6 has definitely been an amazing run from start to finish. Only maybe a couple filler episodes per se. But... I am super excited to see where it goes. And like I say, for anybody that's been turned off by The Walking Dead, this will either kickstart you back in or it's going to put the nail in the coffin one way or another. But I definitely dig it. It's on Sunday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on AMC or wherever you stream it from. But definitely, let's have that conversation, shall we? Fear The Walking Dead in dreams. What did you think of the episode? Did you love it? Did you hate it? And why? 
We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Ah, uh, yeah, Brian Wayne here, your host of the Cheers to Comics podcast, the podcast dedicated to delivering the most current content in the world of comic books. So whether you're looking for the most spectacular interviews of the creators that make the things that we love, or you're looking to maybe line your pockets with some speculation, this is the podcast for you. So tune in on Mondays and Fridays, and you are guaranteed to never miss a beat the pulse of this amazing, amazing comic book industry. Cheers. Coming back for the final segment on this edition of the ODPH Podcast. Pad, what you got for those one shots? Got a couple things to talk about. Uh, first of which is uh, give you a list. Start off a little happy. Give you a list of some movies that are coming happy out. Happy is good. Yeah, starting off with a list uh, comprised by the folks over at IGN of movies that are getting a 4K uh, either first-time release, re-release, anniversary list. Uh, I'm not going to go down the full list, but you can find it yourselves. Uh, some of the highlights, though. Uh, out now, you have a 4K re-release of the movie Big Fish. Seen it myself. Good movie. Definitely worth a watch. Okay. Uh, Judas and the Black Messiah is out on Blu-ray uh, back on May 4th, so definitely check that one out. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a fan of documentaries, uh, uh, Ken Burns' the latest documentary on Ernst Hemingway came out. Uh, not a fan of Ernst Hemingway myself, but I am a fan of Ken Burns. Ken Burns does some great stuff. Yes, he does. Uh, so definitely give that a check out if uh, if you are into documentaries. Uh, Speed got a 4K re-release back on May 4th, so that's out now. Uh, you've got the 20th anniversary Steelbook 4K uh, for Fast and Furious. That's the 20th anniversary coming out that came out uh, just yesterday on May 11th. Uh, Justice Society World War II came out on Blu-ray and 4K uh, yesterday. You've got the 1976 version of King Kong came out on uh, Blu-ray just yesterday. Uh, Saw, the initial one, not the new one, which is getting real bad reviews. Yeah, coming out this week, too. Oh, it's getting real bad reviews. Yeah. Uh, the, but the first one is getting a 4K re-release uh, that came out just yesterday. Also came out yesterday is Shrek, the 20th anniversary edition, which, Christ, I cannot believe Shrek came out 20 years ago. It feels like just yesterday I got it on VHS. Yeah. I was watching it at home. But that came out uh, yesterday in uh, 4K and Blu-ray, so definitely check that out. I know this one's near and dear to your heart. Coming out May 18th. 4K re-release, Animal House. God bless it. One of the greatest movies in the history of mankind. Yeah. Uh, also coming out on May 18th is the Dragonheart 5 movie collection uh, series. Uh, you've also got Raya and the Last Dragon. That's the film from Disney coming out on 4K. Uh, that is on May 18th as well. Uh, you've also got uh, Psycho coming out on 4K May 25th. Okay. Super 8, of course, the J.J. Abrams film. Very good. Uh, getting a 4K uh, release on May 25th. It's also getting a 10th anniversary Steelbook 4K release. Uh, and then lastly, you've got Season 15 of Supernatural coming out on Blu-ray and also Supernatural The Complete Series coming out on Blu-ray on May 25th. Exciting stuff right there. Give me my Animal House, damn it. Yeah. Love that movie. Yeah. Uh, next up, going to talk about uh, the Golden Globes and everything going on there. I'm not going to do a full deep dive on it because, no, that... let's face it, we'd be here for like four hours. Exactly. If I did a full deep dive on it. But there, there is some very, some very big shakeups. Now, for those of you who aren't familiar, you've heard of them, but you're not quite sure what the Golden Globes are. The Golden Globes is an award show put on by the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, uh, which is a group of about 90 journalists. I've heard numbers ranging from 87 and 90, so it's somewhere in that uh, neighborhood, that has been around since 1944. Uh, It's put on on by that organization, and uh, they nominate uh, the movies that are put uh, into the award show, and then they vote on them. Vote on said movies. And they're kind of always been like, you know, not the biggest award show in Hollywood. Obviously, that would probably go to the uh, Oscars, but, Mm. but they are kind of like 
the crystal ball precursor. It's a good gauge for what's going to happen at the Oscars right. with the Golden Globes. But there is a bit of kerfuffle, a little brouhaha. Uh, back in February, the LA Times put out a lengthy article uh, that detailed uh, decades of, quote, self-dealing, unethical actions, homophobia, sexism, and racism by several members. Uh, so... Yeah, not good. I mean, no, not good at all. Uh, I was listening to one podcast uh, from ABC News that was talking about it, and they were talking to their entertainment reporter who, for a couple times, just because of timing and size and space, has been put into uh, press rooms with the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. And whether it's a language or a, a culture thing, there have been some questions asked over the years, and this person didn't go into detail, but did say there have been some questions over the years that he's heard that he went, why the hell are you asking that? That's really awkward. Yeah. Uh, but so you've got that going on there, and there's about a bunch of uh, controversies over the years, not limited to, like I mentioned, bribing. Uh, it, and it seems that it's been one of those behind the Hollywood scenes and Hollywood thing that like they all know about it, but there's really not much the actors and actresses could do about it. Uh, because in 2012, uh, five-time host Ricky Gervais uh, said that compared the Oscars, or excuse me, compared the Globes to the Oscars, saying that the Golden Globes were, quote, a bit louder, a bit trashier, a bit drunker, and more easily bought. Allegedly. 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 Uh, that's a quote, by the way. So, you know, which drew big laughs at the times. So what's going on with this? So you had the article come out from the LA times back in February, kind of detailing all these issues, uh, that were going on, you know, questionable nominations, like such as, uh, this year you had the pop star Sia had a a film come out titled music. Admittedly, I've never even heard of this, this movie. Yeah, me neither. Uh, but uh, it got two nominations at the Golden Globes, despite it being blasted by the critics uh, to the point where I looked it up. Its tomato meter for critics was at eight percent, and the eight eight percent, and the audience sco- <laughs> the audience score is thirteen percent. Holy sh! But it got two nominations at the Golden Globes. So wow! So yeah, you've got n- some questionable nominations like that. Over Putting the- it mildly, my friend. Yeah, put like that over the years. You've also got the issue that there hasn't been an African American, you know, person of color nominated to the voting pool, the, these this group in over twenty years. Mm-hmm. So you've got everything I mentioned. So all the controversies, so the bribery, you know, there even from the article I'm looking at from RottenTomatoes.com. Some of the members on this board have some rather suspect resumes, I guess you could say, for what really qualifies them to be on the board. So it's like, you know, this wouldn't hold a litmus test for any other group that would vote on or give a movie awards. Why are you letting them in? Yeah. Which kind of led to a head that they this article came around and said, so, you know, oh, you know, all these negative things. And the Hollywood Foreign Press turned around and said oh hey change is coming change is coming you know oh don't, don't worry so the list came out of what they were going to do and all the changes they were going to make which it's, it's long and lengthy i mean the article i'm looking on from uh, the editorial for rottentomatoes.com has like a bunch of bullet points listed for like week of may 3rd and there's like four uh, four bullet points weeks of may 10th and 17th there's one two three four five six seven eight bullet points there's a lot i'm not gonna there's go, a lot to digest with i know this. i'm not gonna go through but you can look them up uh, on your own time and read through them but this list got put out and you turned around and had netflix turn around and say all right this this is great and all but it's not enough you're it's not going to happen soon enough we are not happy with it we are not going to give you access 
to our stars when it comes time. Because one of the things that happen is when you get ready for these award seasons, the studios and the streaming. Well, you start pushing everybody. So the movies, the uh, studios, and the streaming services will give access to their stars for their movies so that they can interview them. Netflix turned around and said, we're not going to give the Hollywood foreign press access to our stars for our movies, which not just TV shows anymore. There's some pretty big movies coming out. I mean, Zack Snyder's got army of the dead coming out in like a week or two, Mm -hmm. you know? So, uh, Netflix turned around and is not going to give access to the Hollywood foreign press association. Amazon turned around and did the same thing. So you had Netflix say, we're not giving you access. Amazon turned around and said the same thing. Uh, you also had Warner Media, which is Warner Brothers, HBO, HBO Max, mm-hmm. you know, Cartoon Network. It's a whole slew of things. Turn around and say, yeah, no, sounds good to us. We're not giving you access to our uh, to our stars either. You then had Scarlett Johansson come out and say some not-so-nice things about the Hollywood Foreign Press mm-hmm. and, and kind of say, she said, yeah, I've had some issues uh, with the Hollywood Foreign Press over the years. And then you also had Tom Cruise turn around and say, yeah, no, I'm returning the three Golden Globes I've had over the years. You can have them. I don't want them anymore. And this all got coupled and taken to a further head uh, where NBC is now not going to be broadcasting the Golden Globes this coming year. Uh, Putting out a statement saying, quote, We continue to believe that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is committed to meaningful reform. However, change of this magnitude takes time and work, and we feel strongly that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association needs time to do it right. As such, NBC will not air the 2022 Golden Globes. Assuming the organization executes on its plan, we are hopeful we will be in a position to air the show in 2023. So then the issue you run into this is, okay, it's not going to be on NBC. NBC and the foreign press have a like contract or a deal to be the exclusive broadcaster for these uh, this award show for I don't know how long. It's a decent amount of time. Mm-hmm. So now you're running into the issue of, okay, well, you're in this deal. You're in this contract. Can the they find somebody else to broadcast this? And is it even, you know, on the board? It's very messy. And it's it it's a very interesting test to see what's going to come down the road. Yeah, this is just an absolute train wreck of a situation. Yeah. That it's extremely telling in the actions of those studios to pull their stars uh, from inter- from being interviewed. Yeah, and, and, and it's not, you know, small-name studios. No, no, no. Small this name is huge. Stu- you know, this ain't like, oh, Pixar's not going to give you access to the foreign... Pro- no, no, this is all of Warner Brothers. So this is, you think about it, this is like Dune, uh, Tenet, you know, all of, all of their movies they got coming out. Mm-hmm. And, and you got Netflix, which, like I said, not just TV shows and reruns of TV shows anymore. It's some fairly big movies. They're big movies, plus with Tom Cruise returning his... Uh-huh. Golden Globes, and then with NBC pulling or saying they're not going to air it. I mean, the only thing there I'm wondering is with the contract details, Mm -hmm. what happens? Yeah. Because that could be a situation where maybe I'm only speculating here. I don't know the the legal details of this. Yeah. But would they just quietly put it on Peacock streaming and say, well, it's aired, but they're not going to do any advertising right. and let you know it's on. Right. Know. Yeah, It depends on all the legalese because, you know, and the lawyers are, you know, the lawyers are going to get involved and this is going to get real messy. Before yeah, it gets absolutely. You know, is it a case of NBC is contractually obligated to air the things, which in your, your with your train of thought could happen. They could just dump it on Peacock and go, well, there you go. We fulfilled our obligation to the contract. 
Yeah, exactly. So that's something they have to keep in mind. So because it's not like NBC sitting there hurting for the ratings. I mean, ratings for award shows over the last five, ten years have not been what they they're used to. Just because, let's face it, it's it's cool to see the winners and it's cool to know you know who won, especially for possible moments like at the Oscars a couple of years ago, where oh, La La Land won. Oh, hey, J.K., we got the wrong envelope. Yeah, you know, for moments like that. But let's face it, it's a slog to watch these damn things because it's just it's supposed to be three hours but it ends up being like four four and a half you know where it's like oh yeah the, the oscars i know are notorious for it where it's like oh yeah that's supposed to start at eight o'clock and be done by 11 o'clock but you know it's going till 12 30 yeah i mean i just think award shows are almost coming passe yeah i mean the oscars will always be the oscars because oh, yeah. that's always such a tradition with hollywood mm-hmm. you know same thing with the emmys i mean that always does stand out yeah i mean anything involved in the egots Yep. That's that's going to last the, the test of time. Anything that's not involved in that conversation, in my opinion, is mm-hmm. just going by the way of the dinosaur. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's going to be extinct. But with this whole situation, it's a very loud message they're sending. And if those allegations are true, they're absolutely well-deserved. Oh, yeah. Uh, switching over to some happier news, at least for me. Uh, one of the most anticipated sequels I'm waiting for that hasn't even started filming yet is getting some amazing casting. Oh. Uh, that would be the sequel to Knives Out. Knives oh, Out. your jam right there. Knives Out 2. Of course, we do know that Netflix made a deal to uh, produce and be the exclusive uh, streamer for said movie when it comes time. It's not going to come out. Well, it'll probably come out in theaters, but uh, it's going to be on Netflix. They paid the small sum, you know, chump change, of $400 million. Uh, we do know that Daniel Craig is returning to reprise his role as the detective Benoit Blanc. Uh, Ryan Johnson is also going to write and direct the sequel, but we got some casting announcements in the last week or so. Hmm. So joining said film, uh, one Dave Batista, who you might be familiar with. Uh, you've also got the likes of Edward Norton. Yes, that Edward Norton is joining the film. Uh, and just announced today uh, by the folks over at Deadline is Janelle Monet joining the cast. Oh, okay. This cast is like only like four or five people, and it is already stacked. Well, you know what that first movie came out it drew such a buzz and i think it just got more eyes on the project and it was a it was my late pick for like one of them it came out in 2019 if seriously if you haven't seen it it is fantastic it is a better adult version of clue mm-hmm. like board game and movie it is absolutely fantastic from start to finish and was came out late in the year i don't think i saw it with my uh, girlfriend until Maybe New Year's Eve, uh, 2019, when it came out. It was just, it was like the, I remember it was the last movie I saw in 2019. Fantastic freaking film from start to finish. Just I brilliant. When they said they were doing a sequel, I'm like, yes, give me more. It's yeah. just so good. Absolutely. Uh, switching to some other stuff that I'm very excited to have come back. One of my favorite shows as a kid that was on Nickelodeon is making a return, and that is Legends of the Hidden Temple. Ooh. Yeah, so this was the game show that was like, Part history, part game show, all frustration. Uh, it's moving over from Quibi, which is obviously no more. Uh, all of that stuff got bought up by Roku, uh, the library, I should say. But the sh- reboot itself is moving to CW, and the game show is going to be uh, led by adults and not kids, which there's still time for me to compete. I wanted to compete on this show when it was on so often, but I never got the opportunity to write in and, and do it. So there's still a chance. Still a chance. Uh, yeah, CW announced it is it has ordered a Legends of the Hidden Temple reboot. Uh, so yeah, it, it's going to keep the original ancient runes theme involving the Mayan Olmec head. Which uh, fun fact uh, that head was voiced by one D. Bradley Baker, who you might know from like every animal and cartoons for like the last fifteen years. Seriously, look it up; it's nuts. Uh, you know, 
So it'll have the head, the moat crossings, the steps of knowledge, and the temple run. So yeah, the moat crossing, you started off with, I want to say it was like eight or nine teams of various colors and, and, and animals. So like you had the red jaguars and this red silver, and I'm forgetting some of the animals in there, uh, what they went with. I know people are screaming at me, but I don't want to screw it up. Yeah. But like you started off with the moat and you had to get across the moat and only a certain number of teams would qualify. So then you move on to the steps of knowledge, which you, you would start the episode like, oh, today we're going to learn about this legend. And you had to answer questions about it and move on. And once you got to the end, to the temple, they had to go through the temple. And along the way, you'd collect these little tokens, the uh, medallions, I think is what they were called. That like if you got, quote unquote, caught by a uh, temple protector, you could give one or half of it, depending on what it was, to said protector. And, and you'd be able to keep going. If you didn't have one, you know, you'd get caught and your partner would have to go in. And if your partner got caught, game over, you didn't get the big prize at the end absolutely fantastic show frustrating as all hell as a kid watching this because there was one part in the temple where they had to uh build the silver monkey mm-hmm. you know where it was three parts it was a base a center and a head and you had to uh, put them together in the right order facing the right direction and put it on the little shrine and it would open a thing for you to keep going through oh my god the number of times that like you look at this thing going oh yeah that seems pretty simple to put it together and you'd sit there going oh my god no you're putting the head on top where the legs on top of the legs that's not how that goes yeah oh my god you're putting it backwards can't you tell that's the back of the monkey that's not the arms so frustrating gonna probably be just as frustrating watching adults try and do it but i'm super excited for this i cannot wait yeah i think our friends over at geek hop news uh or hop skeeks news i should say are putting their application for it. So hopefully oh, yeah, they get in. Yeah, here we go. Yeah, it's going to keep all the classic team names. So you have the purple parrots, blue barracudas, orange iguanas, red jaguars, silver snakes, and green monkeys. Uh, so yeah, it, the article from IGN, the revival will scale up the sets with tougher challenges and bigger prizes given to the adult contestants. Five teams will compete with one another through challenges of strength and wit to enter Olmec's temple. Yeah, the show originally aired on Nickelodeon from 1993 to 1995. Uh, and with it coming back, something tells me being able to buy the shirts on third-party sites are no longer going to be a thing uh, very quickly. Facts. Which is going to be a bummer. I'm going to have to grab one before they start selling it at like twice the price on their site. Fair enough. Yeah, switching to another one I am excited about. Uh, the There is a new Dragon Ball Super movie coming. Ooh, okay. I'm super excited for it. So we had the last one come out, which was Dragon Ball Super Broly, which came out in, I want to say it was like 2018? 2018, 2019, something like that. Uh, and that was the last anything Dragon Ball Super came out that wasn't the manga. The manga's still ongoing, but uh, the movie was the last thing to come out because when the movie came out, the uh, anime was technically finished with the Japanese version. The American version was still getting broadcasted uh, American uh, in English and other stuff. But by that point, it had done its run over in Japan. Mm-hmm. So there hasn't been anything really animated-wise new with the series. So people have been kind of wondering. But uh, the other day, apparently it was Goku Day the other day, which I didn't know was a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the series creator, uh, Akira Toriyama and Toei Animation, revealed that there is a new film coming, which will be released in 2022. Absolutely nothing was revealed about this movie, which is par for the course for them. Uh, but it was revealed that uh, from a note that Toriyama, to fans, letting the note, you know, Quote, uh, an all-new movie since Dragon Ball Super Broly is currently in the making. Just like the previous movie, I'm heavily leading the story and dialogue production for another amazing film. I really shouldn't talk too much about the plot yet, but be prepared for extreme and entertaining bouts, which may feature an unexpected character. 
We'll be charting through some unexplored territory in terms of the visual aesthetics to give the audience an amazing ride. So I hope everybody will look forward to the new movie, close quote. So I have no idea what it's going to be. Uh, it was definitely a left field curve when they brought in Broly for the last movie because up to that point, Broly wasn't exactly canon. You know, mm-hmm. he, he was in the he was in movies that uh, the series creator Akira Toriyama didn't work on, so it wasn't technically canon. But he got brought into canon. I have no idea what he's going to go with. Uh, I don't think I haven't read the current manga after where the anime ended, but I don't think it's going to go there if it's something unexpected. Because how can it be unexpected if the fans at large haven't been introduced to it yet. Uh, guesses, I have no I have no idea because they're known to pull left field curves and unexpected swerves. Yeah, I don't really know what to expect of this, but I'm definitely intrigued by it. Mm-hmm. This is kind of flying under the radar. Yeah, and the uh, last uh, thing I got is uh, some PlayStation stuff. And Ken, you want to give him a disclaimer? All right, the next segment, the thoughts, views, and opinions are that of Padawan J and do not reflect the ODPH or its fellow panel members in any way, shape, and or form. Listener discretion is advised. All right, PlayStation, Sony, I love the absolute hell out of you. I have played your console and your systems and your games for almost 20 years now. Uh, I first got a PlayStation 2. I didn't get a PlayStation 1. My first console with you folks was the playstation 2 which i got for christmas in 2002 uh and i have been a fan and i have been faithful to you ever since i have owned playstation 2 playstation portable playstation 3 4 and 4 i have not i've had you know nintendo ds's and other stuff but in terms of like a main console i have not deviated and i'm not planning on deviating so don't don't sit there going oh is padawan saying he's gonna switch no join the xbox no join you can go fuck yourself uh Article came out today uh, that was reported by Wired where PlayStation Studio had Herman Hulst said they have more than 25 PlayStation 5 games in development, uh, saying uh, basically that uh, uh, the PlayStation Studios, which is comprised of uh, some development studios such as Guerrilla Games, which is done most notably and most recently the Horizon Zero Dawn franchise among a bunch of others. Uh, the folks over at Naughty Dog, which did the Crash Bandicoot games, they did the Uncharted games, The Last of Us. Uh, they also, and then uh, also you've got uh, the folks over at Insomniac Games. Uh, you know, so Ratchet and Clank, the Spider-Man games, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a whole bunch of others uh, has more than 25 development titles in development uh, for the PS5, and that half of these 25 games are said to be new franchises. Cool. Can you make the fucking PS5 not so goddamn hard to get? Yeah. Because this news comes on the heels of two days ago. Quote, Sony now expecting PS5 shortages to continue into next year. Uh, Article from IGN, quote, It sounds as though PS5 supplies will continue to be limited into 2022. It was never going to be easy launching a new console in the middle of a worldwide pandemic, and Bloomberg now reports that Sony has spoken to a group of analysts about the supply constraint issues affecting PlayStation 5 supplies, reportedly warning that the shortages will continue into 2022. I don't think demand is calming down this year, and even if we secure a lot more devices and produce many more units of the PlayStation 5 next year, our supply won't be able to catch up with demand, uh, Hiroki Totoki reportedly told the analysts. Global shortages of semiconductors, which are used in almost all computing devices, has made it increasingly difficult for the continuing demand for PlayStation 5 consoles to be met. Semiconductors are a crucial part of the PS5 architecture, and the shortages have led to delays in the console's production cycle. 
this fucking thing is like you can find the Ark of the Covenant before you can find a PlayStation Five at this point. <laughs> I have got the money to buy one. I have the money set aside to buy one. I'm going to get one at some point, but I have gone to Best Buy. And uh, this is websites because I know it's pointless to try and get one in person. Mm-hmm. I've gone to Best Buy's site, Walmart, Target, Sam's Club, uh, Amazon, basically any store that I can think of without having to go to eBay and pay $1,500 for a system because that's you're getting the scalpers who get a hold of one and turn around and be like, oh, yeah, $500 console or whatever the price is. I'm going to sell it on eBay for $1,500. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to eBay because I'm not paying that price. But I've gone there not consistently, but check one week, skip a week, check another week. Always sold out, and I'll see it trending on Twitter. The you know some store, oh hey, they're going to get PS5s back back in stock. Sold out in under ten minutes. That's great that you got all those freaking games that are new IPs. New IPs are always great. Don't get me wrong, I like sequels, I like continuing franchises, but you can't live off of you know sequels and just rebooting old franchises. You got to bring in new stuff. That's great and all, but fucking make it easier to get a hold of one. This is a goddamn joke. Yeah. It's really wild to think that it's still an issue at this day and age. And I, and I get it. Like, you're having shortages of these super conductors. You have this coupled with they're used in, in Xboxes and they're used in cars. I know Subaru's running into issues with this. You know, my dad sells cars locally in our area. Subaru's running into the same issues because they use the same microchips that are in Xboxes and Playstations. Mm. So everyone needs these these microchips and they don't have enough of them but christ almighty don't sit there telling look at us we got 25 new games coming and half of them are new ips well at the same token half the fucking world can't get a hold of one because you can't make them fast enough padawan j everybody yep let them know fucking hell uh Switching over because I think my watch is telling me to calm down because my blood pressure. Yeah, yeah, I know the thing is going off right now. Jesus Christ! Comic picks for this week. uh, Over with DC, you've got Batman: The Detective Issue Number Two. Uh, So this is the one from Tom Taylor where he's gone over to England. Real interested to see where this one goes. Uh, Justice League: The Last Ride Issue Number One. Uh, Description of this is: Once the Justice League was the most powerful collection of superheroes in the universe, but an unthinkable tragedy within its rank has caused Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman to go their separate ways leaving the League broken and disbanded under a veil of anger and mistrust. Now, against the backdrop of the universe's greatest murder trial, can the League reconcile the past before they're eradicated by the greatest villains in the cosmos? I know absolutely nothing about this book, but I read the description and went... Sounds sounds dope. Yeah, I'll check this out. Yeah, it definitely sounds worth picking Uh, up. And then lastly, from DC, you've got Superman issue number 31 coming out. And then over on the Marvel side, uh, Star Wars issue number 13, uh, written by Charles Soule. Charles Soule had something come out. I can't dig it up, and I can't remember what it was, but like I forgot to mention it on the show either last week or the week prior. He had something come out, and it was sold out and going into second printing like the next day. Mm -hmm. Absolutely bonkers. So definitely check that out. Uh, You've also got Star Wars The High Republic issue number five coming out. Uh, that one from Kevin Scott, who's got a uh, book, a High Republic book coming out very soon. I think it's yeah, in it June gonna, or July. I was going to say, I think it was late June. Yeah, coming out. I'm definitely going to be checking that out. But you got High Republic issue number five coming out. So definitely give that a read. And lastly, most importantly, Giant Size Amazing Spider Man King's Ransom issue number one. Uh, quote Everything comes down to this Kingpin's quest that violates all natural law. Tombstone and Robbie Robertson's years old. Uh, anonymity uh, E-N-M-I-T-Y whatever that is anonymity. Uh, Randy Robertson and Beatles timeless love yeah that's a whole thing yeah. uh, Bloomberg's scheme Spider-Man's whole status quo close quote 
uh, listen, it, it's five ninety nine, which is a little high for comics, but it's it's Nick Spencer writing and it's forty four goddamn pages. Give it to me. Take Pat's money. Give it to me. Nick Spencer is doing incredible things with the Spider Man run. Uh, yeah, uh, Randy Robertson and Beetle. They're they're a thing. Yeah, that, that's happening. And, and and Tombstone and Robbie are thrilled about it to say the least. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah, comics, folks. And definitely swing by your local comic shops. Go pick them up. Definitely support them. They got a lot of books coming out this week, too. Mm-hmm. All right, so for my one shots, I'm going to keep it kind of short and sweet. Loki has a new poster out oh, for yeah. the show that is debuting on June 9th on Disney+. Plus. Uh, not really too much to tell about. I, I know online it was referred to as, like, the Endgame poster. Um, oh, yeah, I heard that. Yeah, it's kind of just weird. Uh, the only thing I'm wondering is why is there a cartoon clock on there? I don't know, and it just looks very Doctor Who-ish in my opinion. And I hey, just saw something about the uh, yeah. It's uh, apparently it's Ms. Minutes. Yeah, is the character's name. Yeah, so I don't know. It's going to get weird, but it definitely uh, is featuring some of the characters from the show. So if you're a fan it's of it, Loki, it's time travel. It's going to get weird. Yeah, it's going to get definitely weird. Keeping it Marvel though, John Romita Jr. has been announced that he is going to be drawing some stuff for the 60th anniversary issue of Fantastic Four. Nice. So definitely excited about that. So that's going to be dropping in August. It's always cool to see JRJR back in the House of Ideas. I'm a huge Romita Jr. fan. I love his artwork. So that is going to be dropping in August on Fantastic Four 35. So definitely make sure you grab that issue. 60 years of the first family of comics. Nuts. Crazy to think about. And there is some X-Men news that was also getting released. So this also caught my eye because after the fallout from the Hellfire Gala. So now that is the big party, like the homage to the Met, MetLife Gala. Yeah, I saw I saw Wolverine in the tux. It looked real weird. Yeah, it, well, it's always the big celebrities that come yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. It's always like the fashion theme. Yeah, I would say there's a theme and like you always have people dressing in bonkers outfits, uh, case in point, Heidi Klum. Yes. So they're doing that on Kuroka with the X-Men and the mutant family. Sure. So there's the Hellfire Gala. So they're going to be doing that. So that's where you're seeing a lot of the imagery showing up on social media. Uh, looks very cool. Looks very different. But from the fallout of that, you're going to have the new X-Men team book coming out. So they did release the lineup for that. Okay. I actually dig that a lot. So that's going to be uh, the relaunch in July 2021. Written by Jerry Dugan and drawn by Pepe Larez. And the lineup is Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Wolverine, Laura Kinney, oh, okay. Polaris, Rogue, Sink, and Sunfire. Okay. So the artwork I got, I'm showing Pad right now, I think it looks so Ooh, freaking dope, man. That's nice. And obviously, that's the fallout of X of Swords and now going into the Reign of X because that's going to be the new big push that they're doing with the next phase of Jonathan Hickman's. Uh, wild, wild universe that is Kuroka. And it was also revealed that out of the events of the Hellfire Gala, we're going to have almost like a throwback to X-Men 200, I believe. I'm actually doing this while I'm looking at a computer. Wow. And it's a the trial of Magneto. So there is a murder mystery that's going on. So I don't know if Magneto is going to be the person behind it, which I think is going to be heavily rumored and it be kind of touched upon when he was tried for his crimes against humanity. And he was cleared of them by the World Council and became the head of the X-Men for a little brief bit. okay. 80s comics, folks, it happens. Yeah, reasons. Yeah, reasons. So I have seen some of the artwork for this. So this will be getting dropped. So like I said, I think he's going to be accused of a crime and he's got to find his way out because it's Kuroka. You know it's going to get weird. Yeah. And they have definitely hinted that Jonathan Hickman has another book coming out in September. No details involving that. Of course. So 
it's going to be the next phase of his epic that he is building. So definitely interested in seeing about where the next phase of the X-Men franchise goes. I have to say I love the reboot they've done. A little too many books, in my opinion, for the reboot. But, hey, if you grew up reading the X-Men in the 90s, you're You're used to it. it. Yeah, it's it's secondhand nature. So I'm excited about it. Marauders is always awesome. X-Force, I mean, enough said, enough said. Enough said. And finally, there was some news that broke a little bit, and you can take it for what it is. Emily Blunt was on the Howard Stern Show. Okay. And the idea of her being involved in the X or the MCU was brought up. Mm-hmm. And where she has kind of said, she has said, quote, unquote, this is fan casting. No one has received a phone call. That's just people saying, wouldn't it be great? And she also follows up to say, it's not, it's not that it's beneath me. I love Iron Man, and when I was offered Black Widow, I was obsessed with Iron Man. I wanted to work with Robert Downey Jr. It would have been amazing, but I don't know if superhero movies are for me. Sure. It's not up my alley. I don't like them. I really don't. Sure. It's been exhausted. We've been undated with them. It's not only the movies. It's the endless TV shows as well. It's not to say I would never want to play one. It would just have to be something so cool, like a really cool character, and then I'd be interested. Hmm. So, Pat, and uh-huh. that's all from the interview with Howard Stern. Okay. I want your take on this. Um, I understand what she's saying, and that's fine. You know, I know fans have been fan casting her as, as Sue Storm for years and years, maybe a decade or more. And I was having a conversation with somebody on Twitter about this today. Um, fan casting is fun and all, but by and large, it doesn't usually turn out to be right. And, and more often than not, who does end up getting casted is absolutely shit on for like a couple of weeks or a month. I mean, the, the instance the person and I was going back and forth with brought up was after Christian Bale was done being Batman. And, and they, they couldn't remember who people were fan casting to be the next Batman after Christian Bale was done. But Affleck wasn't it. And mm-hmm. people absolutely shit on Affleck being Batman for a couple of weeks. And now obviously things have changed. The one I could remember was when they announced Daniel Craig taking over the role of James Bond. That I remember very vividly the day it was announced he was going to be the next James Bond. Uh, it was the CBS Morning News Show, whatever it was called then. It's not what it's called now. But it was like the CBS Morning News Program. You know, like Good Morning America, Today Show, or whatever here in the States, but CBS's version. Where there was that little graphic at the bottom for the, the headline of the story they were talking about. And it was a blonde James Bond? Mm-hmm. With a question mark and an exclamation point, And people were losing their collective shit that the next James Bond was going to be a blonde. Yeah. You know, the fan casting is fun and all, but if she doesn't want to do it, that she hates it, that's fine. The last thing you want to have is have somebody commit to doing a movie because it's a payday and it's an easy way to get in. Because if it's genuinely true that she doesn't want to do it and she would hate it and it'd have to be something that blew her out of the, out of the water and really blew her mind to do... That's fine because the one instance I can think of of having an actor who absolutely hated doing a movie and it showed on the film was, uh, excuse me, um, Sean Connery's uh, portrayal in uh, You Only Live Twice, Mm -hmm. which was the last one he did before he took the hiatus and George Lazenby came in and we don't talk about that movie. That movie's (laughs) fucking awful. But it got so bad, and this is documented, it got so bad between the producers of the film and Sean Connery, that he would not film scenes if the producers were on set. 
and it got bad, it got awkward, and that kind of shows through the movie. That It just kind of shows. If she doesn't want to do the movie, that's fine. If, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, you have to do it because you would be the perfect Sue Storm. Like, no. Mm -hmm. Don't force her to do it if she doesn't want to do it. And internet, listen, love the hell out of you. But don't get all pitchforky torches and start hashtags for fucking six years that I have to mute because you're annoying the piss out of me looking at you, Snyderverse, because it's not what you want. Whoever Marvel ends up casting in these roles is going to be a fantastic job. Let's not forget we're on the like 10-year anniversary or 15-year anniversary of whatever it is where Chris Hemsworth and Tom Hiddleston got cast as Loki and Thor and they were labeled as a couple of nobodies. Mm-hmm. And look how that turned out. Yeah. Uh, two things. One, I think it's a smokescreen because I think of how she ended it. Would it would just have to be something so cool or like a really cool character, and then I'd be interested. Well, and I don't doubt that, but like I don't think it's going to end up. Be, if I'm taking her at face value. I would expect it to be something like like we're seeing with Jupiter's Legacy or even the Boys type mm-hmm. of scenario, where it's a film, but it's in that vein where it's a more realistic look at superheroes. That something like that would blow her out of out of the water and be like, oh yeah, let's do that. Well, maybe. Like I say, I just took it as I think it's a smokescreen. Yeah. That I think that one. We can all fan speculate until we get blue in the face. Sure. Until somebody walks out on a stage in front of people at a convention. It's, we don't know what's going to happen. No, and, and I think there is a little bit of truth to what she said where it's it, they're cookie cutter. Because I enjoy the hell out of him and I still go see him, but she does have a point. Oh, she's got a point. She's got a point that the DC stuff is cookie cutter for DC films. Marvel's cookie cutter for their... They got their own shape and size of cookie cutter. They are cookie cutter. Like, you know, I can understand that and she has a point. No, she's got a point. But like I said, I think this is a smokescreen. I think that if she was really done with it, she wouldn't have thrown in that extra line. That's my opinion. Maybe. But, you know, if she doesn't want to take it, cast Aaron Moriarty from The Boys... She will be perfect. Okay. So that is my pick if Emily Blunt turns it down. But like I say, we won't find out until I'm going to say we get our first castings around San Diego Comic-Con virtual this year. That's my early prediction. I think the House of the Mouse has got something lined up. Maybe they'll drop it on Marvel. In Marvel, we trust. They've only had one goof up in their entire run. Yeah, so I have full faith in Kevin Feige and the crew. So we'll have to wait and see, but I thought that was kind of interesting that she said that. And like I say... Uh, you got to kind of take it for face value. So we'll have to wait to see what happens. I know we kind of went a little over time, so I'm just going to sum it like this. You want to talk to Padawan J. You want to talk to Coach Duffy. You want to find out everything going on with everybody that gives us the great music you hear on this podcast. You want to find out about organizational links supporting Black Lives Matter. You want to find out about all the amazing pod groups we are in via Podchaser. You want to find out about the T Public store. You want to find out about Parlay Points. You want to find out about everything that is the ODPH? Pad, where do you go? ODPHpodcast.com. Enough said, because that's all we got for this week. So for the one and only Padawan J. Coming soon within the next few weeks, the Eternals trailer. And there's another one being worked on as well. <laughs> Drop the mic on him, why don't you? Uh-huh. Folks. Follow me on Twitter, and I might tell you when the date is when I find out. Tell them where you can find you. Uh, ODPHpodcast.com or on Twitter at Mesalyn, M-E-S-E-L-Y-N. Simple. Swing on over at OD Parlay Hour. It's right there in the bio. So definitely swing on over. Say hi to him. The plug has struck again, folks. I'm your host, Kenna. Thank you, as always, for listening to the ODPH Podcast, better known as the Ocho Duro Parlay Hour. We'll see you next time.
you now.